0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Long podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We are officially in Washington Week to uh, help preview the game between the number eight Oregon Ducks, number six Washington Huskies. I bring on Christian Capel, former writer of The Athletic. Uh, Now the owner of onmontlake.com, a great substack covering the Washington Huskies. He's been covering the dogs for a long time. He helps me jump into this game, look at some of the matchups, kind of predict a little bit of the outcome. Really good episode for you today. Let's get into it. right, I've got Christian Cable here, formerly of the Athletic, and now the man behind On Montlake, a great substack covering the Washington Huskies. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm, I'm excited for this matchup. Um, I brought you on a preview of this top 10 showdown between Oregon and Washington. Um, I actually, I want to start with injuries. If we can kind of get this out of the way a little bit, because, uh, both Washington and Oregon have been a little bit banged up this year. Washington, I think more so than Oregon. Um, the ducks have seen a few injuries over the past couple of weeks, so we can touch on, but, um, for Washington, let's talk about it. They lost, uh, Cameron Davis. They lost Devin banks. These are all some guys that have missed some time. Asa Turner, someone else, Jalen McMillan, someone else, uh, Romo Dunze took a hit against Arizona. Um, these are all guys, some have missed time, some are out for the season, but um, we're kind of expecting a few of them back. Can you kind of just give a little bit of an update where this is and where it stands right now and who we expect to see back for this game? Yeah, I mean, the two
0: names everybody
1: uh, has their, their eyes on
0: are Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunze, um, they're two, two of their star receivers. McMillan had what looked like a, a lower body or leg injury of some kind um, at, right at the end of the first half against Michigan State. He hasn't played since. Coaches were pretty optimistic the way they talked about him before each of their last two games, but he didn't end up playing in either of those. I don't know that that was tremendously surprising. It kind of seemed like knowing they had the bye week when they did and it was right before the Oregon game that this week kind of made the most sense for his return. Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, did say on Monday that he thinks both McMillan and Romo Dunze will be good to go. So take that for for what it's worth. Um, Odunze obviously... You know, hasn't missed any time. It was kind of a weird play. Like you said, he took a shot at recovering an onside kick at the end of the Arizona game. Came off kind of grabbing at his his torso or, or maybe ribs a little bit. Um, I, I, it does sound like you know, coaches are talking like the, both those guys are going to play. That would obviously be big for Washington. Tulila Tule um their senior defensive tackle, he did get hurt against Arizona and wasn't able to return. And it sounds like that was one where, you know, if they had to play, if they would have had to play last week, that probably would have been an issue. Um, I don't know if, if he'll be available Saturday. They haven't been real transparent about that one, probably trying to keep that one under wraps. Um, That would be a big loss for Washington if he can't go. They have some bodies at D-tackle. They don't have a ton of experience depth there. And after those two starters, um, Latuli Nasanoa and, uh, Ulamo Ale, uh, there, there's a bit of a drop off. So that would, um, that would be one that would impact them. You mentioned Asa Turner, saw him coming off the, the field at practice today with a club around that injured hand. Uh, I don't know how close he is either to, to being able to go. He's missed their last few games. So yeah, they've, they've been dinged up. They've had some injuries on the offensive line too, but they've, they've held up. Okay. There they've, they've, um, been able to plug some guys in who got a lot of reps during camp and those sorts of things. So, um, from an injury standpoint, all eyes, I think, are on those two receivers and, and on Latuli Nasanoa there in the
1: defensive interior. Okay. You mentioned that offensive line. We're going to we're gonna get to, to that in a little bit because I think they've been really impressive up front. But first of all, let's just talk about this matchup in general. It's not hard to argue that this is the biggest game that these two teams have faced against each other uh, maybe ever. Um, first time it's in the top ten, I believe. There's conference title ramifications, college football playoff ramifications, you got two Heisman contenders. You got two, two maybe three Bolitnikov contenders in this. Um, it's this the last time these two will face each other in the Pac-12. What in general excites you the most about this game? Are there any things where you are like, okay, this is something we haven't seen in a long time? What really gets you excited about this? Yeah, I mean, there is a bunch
0: of things. I, I think you start with the fact that we can't totally know what either of these teams are yet, you know, and, and I think. It seemed like the schedule was sort of set up that way. That mm-hmm. you know, Oregon had a, a decent test there in the non conference going to Texas Tech, Washington had to go to Michigan State, but neither Texas Tech nor Michigan State are very good. So, you know, well, what do you take away from either of those games? Oregon plays a Colorado team, they obviously were much better than, and a Stanford team that pretty much everybody is much better than. Washington plays Cal in Arizona, two opponents that nobody's going to be, you know, real impressed if, if you beat either of them. So, yeah, I think everybody kind of had this circle that's like both these teams should be 5-0. and Both these teams are getting a bye week to get as healthy as possible going into it. And let's find out what Washington and Oregon are, are really about. So I think, you know, just knowing that we're going to come out of this weekend with a, a Pac-12 favorite, I think, between those two teams especially kind of with the way that usc has looked pretty vulnerable the last two weeks um that's exciting you mentioned it's the first ever top 10 matchup between these two teams it's kind of unbelievable you go back through history i mean this rivalry is so bitter and so fun and these teams really aren't ever really good at the same time yeah um you know oregon absolutely dominated Washington for, for years and mm-hmm. none of those Washington teams were, were all that great. I mean, 2013 is kind of the one game that comes to mind a little bit. That was the first time college game day ever came to UW and Marcus Mariota played. I mean, one of the best games anyone's ever seen from an opposing quarterback at Husky stadium that day. And, you know, it was a little bit closer than some of the games in, in those recent years had been, but you know, think Oregon still won by 14 or 21 points. So, um, you know, this, especially coming off last year's result, right? It was such a classic, such a tight game in Eugene and the same, you know, 60 year quarterbacks from that matchup are back and a bunch of different skill guys who played in that game are back. Um, it's just, it's, it's like you said, I mean, it's one of the most anticipated games in rivalry history. And it's, it's really cool too, that it's the last time they'll play each other in the pac 12. It's a little bit of a precursor for, for what the big 10 can expect from Washington and Oregon in the coming years.
1: And like you said, I mean, there's, there's so much history in this game, but I think one of the things that's most exciting and intriguing from our perspective is that we are going to learn so much about both of these teams because of who they've played because of who they haven't played. I mean, like you said, the two marquee matchups for both schools, I mean, was uh, Texas tech for Oregon and Michigan state for Washington. And uh, you know, those looked good on paper going in, but I don't think they got the test that either of them were really expecting Oregon, A little bit more so, but that's more of their own fault that they struggled down in in Lubbock than something that Texas Tech did. So um, that's one thing I'm looking forward to the most as we get to see. We've we've asked these questions for five, six weeks now. Hey, is Oregon's defense really this good? Hey, is Washington's offense really this good? We're finally going to find out because they're going to go up against the best competition they have all year. Um, Let's talk about Michael Penix in particular real quick it appears that he's gotten better this season by all accounts. And that was coming off of a really incredible 2022 season. Um, Where do you think he's made the most strides so far this year?
0: Yeah. I mean, so far, uh, if you were to nitpick his 2022 season, you know, there were a lot of games where he was pretty flawless, but even like the Oregon game, right. Huge win, huge signature play, the 62 yard touchdown to Taj Davis. But he forced an interception on first and goal in that game at a really critical time. That if Oregon completes that scoring drive um, instead of getting stopped on on fourth down, you know, or excuse me, settling for a field goal, mm-hmm. um, that's a completely different game. And people are talking about how, hey, you know that that interception was kind of the turning point. Uh, there was a similar play um, in the red zone in, in the Apple Cup against Washington State, and obviously, you know, he was excellent otherwise in that game and they they wound up winning it by 18 points but you haven't really seen those decisions where Mm -hmm. you you know and even those decisions were really rare to begin with last year but you haven't seen the throw by Penix where you go oh wow that was all they had to do is throw that away and he forced it you know and Ryan Grubb has talked about you know seeing early in games where he'll go through his whole progression and hit a check down on a play that usually is available to them as a deep shot down the field. And that's kind of when he knows, okay, he's locked in. He's going to be patient. He's going to take what's given to him. He's not going to force things. So um, it didn't happen a lot last year, but it did show up at some pretty critical times. Now they haven't played a whole lot of close football yet Mm -hmm. this year. I mean, their game at Arizona was really their first time they've, they've been tested at all in the fourth quarter. So Maybe those opportunities to make those mistakes just haven't been there, but it's it's hard to watch what he's done this year and really find any flaws other than you know a, maybe maybe a, a quarterback technician could find something wrong with the footwork here <laughs> or there or something like that.
1: But yeah, I mean he's been um, he's been exactly what they hoped he would be. So one of the things that's been most impressive for me when watching this Washington offense is the offensive line's ability to keep Penix clean so far. Uh, just three sacks allowed this year that's tied with Oregon actually for the sixth spot in the nation, sixth uh, lowest in the nation. Um, all of that, though, is with Pinnock's passing almost 40 times per game. I think it's just a little bit above 35 times per game. Is that more, do you think, a credit um, to the offensive line's ability to keep him clean? Is it some of uh, Pinnock's ability, uh, ability to evade the rush? What do you think? I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of both, but what have you seen so far in that aspect of the game?
0: Yeah, I think the offensive line has been really good. Um, they're they're especially talented and experienced at the two tackle spots with Trey Fautano and Roger Rosengarten. So, you know, if, if you if you assume that the the defense's best pass rushers are coming off the edge, you know, those are those are two guys who are pretty well positioned to to limit that. You know, against Arizona, they dropped seven or eight guys into coverage and when you have a really good quarterback and a really good group of receivers mm-hmm. that, that's a great way to prevent your quarterback from getting sacked is just hey be so good through the air that you're forcing the defense to back everybody off and and now you're you're dealing with three or four man rushes so that presents challenges in other ways but yeah i mean i i think he's he's pretty savvy back there um just like he, you don't see him force a lot of throws he you don't see him get too stubborn about hanging mm-hmm. in the pocket i think he's he's going to stick back there just as long as he can, even when he does sort of use his legs to move around, he's still looking downfield. He's not a guy who wants to take off and run, which I think Mm -hmm. kind of makes it maybe even more impressive that his sack numbers have been so low the last couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think they've got a couple of really good tackles. I think Parker Brailsford has done a great job stepping in at center uh, for Mateo Mele. There's their six year senior who they lost to a season ending injury. And um, yeah, I mean, that, uh, that That's another thing though right like how good are the defensive fronts they've faced this year you know how good how good of a pass rush have they seen so I, I think Saturday is going to answer a lot of questions can they keep him clean for an entire game against a team like oregon that's that's got a bunch of really good athletes in that front seven.
1: Yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna talk later about the specifics in this game that need to go right for both teams. But I think that's one of the places for Oregon that if they can find how to get a pass rush with just four and not have to bring pressure, and if you can actually try and get some pressure, um, and you know we talked about Penix, he does have such a good ability to keep his eyes downfield and um, you know not get too rattled by people getting in the pocket. But um, that's going to be one of the biggest things I'm going to be looking for early on is just how. How many rushers does it take for Oregon to to actually get in there and get some pressure Um, from an Oregon fan perspective? There's a belief that the Ducks are going to win this game because of their defense. You know, fans think that Washington's offense is a little bit overhyped because they haven't played any good defenses. You know, whatever works to fit their narrative. While I don't necessarily agree about. Washington's offense being overhyped I also don't disagree with the notion that Oregon's defense isn't going to be you know one of the pivotal units in this game what have you seen from the Ducks defense so far this year that maybe gives you a little bit of a pause as someone who covers Washington and knows Washington so well or do you similarly feel that the Ducks might be a little bit you know overhyped or glorified on defense because of that level of competition this year yeah, I mean, I just look at
0: how athletic they are in the secondary and, and up front. And I think Arizona had a pretty good defensive game plan against Washington. They limited big plays. They didn't let anything get behind them. They clearly were kind of content to let them check down, check down, check down their way down the field. Um, you know, California usually is a little more stout defensively than they were. Yeah. But, you know, Washington, just they, they've not seen a defense that's filled with really highly recruited guys yet mm-hmm. and so i i think that's that's the most interesting element and you know I, I as far as whether washington's offense is overhyped or if this is an oregon defense that you know is is gonna be a lot more effective against them than defenses washington's played so far i think washington did a pretty good job in, in eugene last year of yeah. course it's a little bit of a different looking defense right dan lanning did a great job in the portal going out and and getting some guys, especially at corner and, and on the edge there, that um, are going to be a little bit different than what Washington's seen in, in its five games so far. But yeah, I mean, I was talking to someone the other day. Like, you look at the the teams left on Washington's schedule, and they don't play UCLA mm-hmm. outside of Utah. Yeah, I, I just don't know how many opponents are left where you look at their defense and go, "Okay, Washington's receivers are really going to have their hands full with this group of DBs." Or you know, boy, Michael Penix Jr. is is, you know, gonna have his hands full with this pass rush. Um, you know, USC's got those guys athletically, but yeah. the the tape is the tape, right? Yeah, They've given up exactly. a ton of yards, a ton of points. So I'm just I'm I'm curious to see the athletic matchup between Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan and and Jalen Polk and you know, a group of DBs that are that are some dudes, you know, mm-hmm. and that are probably of the caliber athletically they haven't seen yet.
1: So similarly, what do you make of Washington's defense so far? I mean, stats at this point of the season need to be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt just because it's early in the year and we haven't seen a lot of similar matchups and, you know, similar competition. But, um, you know, from an outside perspective, the stats on Washington's defense, they're solid. They're, you know, they're, they're, a really, they're a good defense. I don't know that they're on par with the offensive in terms of success rate. Um, but what's the feeling like up in Seattle with Washington's defense so far?
0: Yeah, I I think that's about right. I think people think they're definitely better than they were last year. Um, little bit of a low bar situation there. I mean, their defense let them down at times. I think even against Oregon, what Oregon have five hundred and ninety yards in that game yeah. last season. So that's that's the big focal point is is Oregon's running game against Washington's front seven. And, you know, are they gonna be able to to stop them on early downs, to get them in third and long situations in a way that they, they just weren't last year, e- even in victory. Um, yeah, I think they're a lot better in the secondary. Jabbar Muhammad has been really solid at corner. He's somebody that, you know, has played a lot of football and that they went out and got in the portal and knew that they could kind of rely on him to come in and be that legit, like veteran number one guy on the outside. Um, I think their their DBs tackle better than they did a year ago. I think they're a little bit faster at linebacker. Um, you know, without Latuli Nasanoa in the middle, we'll see if he plays. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Yeah, I think that's that's a concern. Um, but you just you've kind of they're a little more technically sound. They're they seem to play a little more confident than they did last year. Um, and I I know we're kind of repeating ourselves, but mm-hmm. you know, let's hey, let's see against a, a legit offense, you know, what they look like because they've they've faced um, three teams in non-conference that really didn't have a quarterback that could test them. Cal didn't have a quarterback that could test him. Jaden Delora was out for Arizona, although I think Noah Fafita did did some nice things and did Looks some nice things good. against yeah against USC <laughs> too. So um, you know, maybe, maybe, shoot, maybe he's the best guy they've faced oh. this year. But um yeah, I I think they're a lot more um they affect the ball more. You know, they they've already got more interceptions than they did last year. I think they've got better depth. In the secondary. I think last year they were relying on a lot of guys who hadn't played really any college football once they had some injuries that forced them to play their backups. That's not really the case this year. So, you know, I I don't know that you've seen that like dominating performance in the trenches that people have kind of been waiting for. I don't know that they're gonna be a team that, you know, really takes it to an opposing offensive line on a on a team that's that's got some guys and is able to do some things offensively, but I, I think they've upgraded from last
1: season okay let's talk about these coaches for a second um under the previous regimes for both schools actually with jimmy lake and mario cristobal it was it seemed like there was more of a penchant for trash talk and for bulletin board material whenever (laughs) this rivalry came up obviously 2021 gave us the academic prowess lines from jimmy lake it gave us the um the post-game speech from mario cristobal that got broadcast live via instagram and went viral for a little bit um so far, it feels like Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer, they treated, they handle things a little bit differently. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of words being said behind closed doors this year. You know, coaches use different tactics and have different ways of firing up their guys. But, um, you know, in public, it's been pretty calm and collected so far from both, both sides. What do you think the message is inside that Husky locker room this week? Because I know that lanning is probably talking a lot about last year and how they feel like they should not have lost that game um just curious coming off that win last year what do you think that message is from DeBoer to his guys to get them ready for this matchup and fired up obviously it's it's not hard to get up for this rivalry game but what do you think he's telling them
0: yeah i mean i know they've been so their their theme for the season is us versus us which is (laughs) i feel like a a pretty common yeah. football mantra, however you want to phrase it, right? Everybody's kind of got their own spin on it. I do think that's the way they talk about things. I'm sure among players it's it's a little bit different. Um it it's, was interesting last year, the first matchup between Lanning and DeBoer. You could kind of see the the sort of small school background respect that they have for each mm-hmm. other, right? Calen DeBora coming from he played at Sioux Falls, he coached at Sioux Falls at the NAI level and worked his way up. Dan Lanning from from William Jewell, I believe. Mm-hmm uh, similarly. And he kind of mentioned that in the, in the lead up last year, he said, Hey, like, you know, Kalen DeBoer is one of the winningest coaches in college football. I don't Mm -hmm. know that there's a lot of other opposing head coaches who would uh, kind of acknowledge his NIA success that way. So Mm -hmm. NAIa success that way, excuse me. So I I do think there's a respect there just because of kind of the, the roots of, of where both those guys came from. But, um, you know, I, I'm sure the message from Deboer from the coaching staff is like, look, if if you bought into the us versus us and it's all about Washington and all that, and it got you this far, you know, it it doesn't change this week, right? Like it's it's Oregon. It's it's you know, I'm sure those guys remember last year how, especially defensively, how much of a handful Bo Nix and Bucky Irving and Troy Franklin were, and you know just how kind of relentless they are in the running game, and and um, you know they'll have their own even though they won the game i'm sure they have their their own pride factor that you know they look at those numbers from last season and probably not the film from from last season but at least the numbers and the feeling that they had and and probably wish that uh hope that they can put a a better showing on uh this year at least on that side of the ball
1: what's really interesting is that i've found you know in this new day and age of college football where you've got the transfer portal so prevalent that we've even when we're talking to players um so far this week and even last year too it's you're there's still such a history with this rivalry but it's just not as present among the players you know we talked to uh, um several players today and they're saying oh yeah i learned a lot about this rivalry you know incoming transfers and um you know a lot of the players on oregon's team there's there's been so much roster turnover this year that there was a lot of players on this team that were not there last year so um, you know, I don't know how much they'll use that to their advantage to get them fired up. I know that some players certainly will, but um it's just interesting how rivalries kind of play out now in this day and age of college football where you have such roster turnover year after year. Yeah, I mean I, I remember
0: talking to Taki Taimani after he mm-hmm. transferred and it's just it's interesting like it, it's it is sort of the the businessification or the the pro <laughs> the professionalization of college sports a little bit where yeah you don't know, there's there's rivalries between fan bases in the NFL a little bit you know mm-hmm. Cowboys 49ers or or you know Steelers Ravens or whatever it mm-hmm. is um, but it, the players don't get as into that yeah and I think you know that's especially with the transfer portal y- you 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 find the situation that's best for you, that works best for you. You are playing college football. A lot of these guys believe they're going to play in the NFL. So you're playing college football. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a means to an end. You know, you're trying to find the best situation for you, the system that's going to utilize your skills the best, the school that's going to best put you on the map to prove yourself for the next level. And, you know, that's not to dismiss it entirely. I Mm -hmm. think there's a, a, a locker room full of guys at Washington that really, really enjoyed beating Oregon last year. And. Really, really enjoy winning the Apple Cup and you see it on social media and, you know, it's I, I do think that coaches do a pretty good job of keeping the lid on during the week. But once the game's over, you, yeah. you see the you see the winners talking up a little bit and then you kind of start to get
1: the, like, oh, OK, yeah,
0: like these guys, these guys wanted this one a little bit more than they wanted it
1: last week. Definitely. It'll be interesting to see for both Oregon and Washington going forward in the Big Ten, how that's going to change that professionalization, like you said, of sports where they, you know there aren't as many rivalries to play. Hopefully that Washington will still play Washington State, Oregon will still play Oregon State. But outside of that, outside of Oregon-Washington, they don't have as many rivals going into that conference. Um, just from a broader picture, it feels sort of like I, I expect that this is not going to be the only time that these two teams face each other. Um, Up to this point, all roads seem to point that it could be, this is the first time that these two teams play again in the uh, Pac-12 title game in Las Vegas. Um, Who do you think gets in the way of that? If you were to pick one team, are there any other Pac-12 teams that you think really have a great shot at getting to Vegas or would your money right now be on a rematch of these two? It's a good question. I mean, I, as long as Caleb Williams is healthy, I, I wouldn't count out
0: USC entirely. Um, I, I know there's a ton of questions about their defense, and you don't you don't play as many you don't play games the way that they've played the last two weeks without losing one at some point. Yeah, um, but they get Washington at home, and you know, shoot. They, maybe they'll go out and lose to Notre Dame this week and, and, you know, that'll, that'll kind of be, of course, for, for purposes of the Pac-12 championship game, that doesn't really matter. But I, I would still put USC in that conversation, you know, just begin and with injuries and everything. I mean, you just, you just never know down the stretch. I I would have, look, if Cam Rising was healthy, I think Utah Mm -hmm. would, would be right in that. Their defense is certainly good enough. Um, I think that, you know, sort of those other teams that were expected to be top tier before the season, or I don't know that Oregon State's passing game is is good enough to have them in that conversation. So um, I do think the winner of this game comes out as as kind of the the national darling going forward as as the mm-hmm. team people talk about being the the potential Pac-12 champion. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a rematch, though.
1: Yeah, I think that it's. I, I just have a feeling that no matter who ends up on top in this game, it's going to be like, all right, well, we'll see in a couple months because it, it just seems like all roads are pointing to that. Um, I'm going to get you out here on this. What is your general feel in this game? I'm not going to necessarily ask you to make a score prediction, but if you had to forecast how you think this game is going to play out, how do you think it unfolds? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it feels like another shootout. Um, and I know that was
0: very much the vibe going into last year's game. And mm-hmm. when it was only seven to three or something like that, after the first quarter, I like think a lot of people were really surprised, like, wow, yeah, I thought this was going to be a really high scoring game. Of course, that's, that's how it turned out. They really got to mm-hmm. go in there in the, in the third quarter, especially, but I see a similar game, you know, I, I think these are two quarterbacks operating at a really high level, um, you know. Maybe if, if Odunze and McMillan aren't, aren't able to go, that changes things a little bit for Washington. Um, but I, I just, I don't know that I've seen enough from Washington's defense to think that Oregon won't be able to run the ball pretty well mm-hmm. against them. Um, so, I you know, if you couldn't say anything else about Washington before the season and, and in these first few weeks, you could say, well, I, who's going to outscore them, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, I would would not be one bit surprised if the winner is in the forties and if the losers in the forties too, I think it's going to be that, that kind of game. So it's, you know, who's going to get a a key stop. Who's going to get a big turnover. Who's going to execute in the red zone. Who's not going to execute in the red zone. And you kind of mentioned it too. Who's going to get a pass rush because Mm -hmm. Washington, I I think has a couple of really good edge rushers and, you know, I, I think Braylon Trice is so talented. He's forced opposing offenses to game plan, to account for him whether it's doubling him whether it's trying to get rid of the ball really quick and not being able to take shots downfield um but the production hasn't been there they they don't have a ton of sacks so you know are they going to be able to put pressure on Bo Nix and and are they going to be able to stop the run well enough to get them into situations where they have to throw the ball on on third and long type of situations
1: yeah I agree I think like you said earlier it's it's gonna be who who can string together a stop maybe two who can get a big stop down in that fourth quarter because this is probably gonna be a pretty high scoring game i know it's oregon's got a really highly ranked defense Washington's that's very solid defense but these two offenses are top five in the nation some of the best in the nation so it's probably gonna i think the over under is 67 and a half right now it feels a little bit lower than i thought it was gonna be so yeah. um yeah it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun um, thank you so much, Christian, for coming on and previewing this game with us. If you are looking for some of the best Washington coverage that you can find, I encourage you to go subscribe to onmontlake.com. Christian, thank you again for coming on, and I hope, you, I hope to see you up in the press box this weekend. All right. Thank you very much. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Again, thank you to Christian Capel for coming on and previewing this matchup with us. Uh, I am looking forward to this weekend. I'm going to be up in Seattle for the game. Um, I'm not quite sure when the podcast will come out after the game. I'm kind of considering maybe recording um, something while I'm up in Seattle before driving home. Um, Otherwise, I will likely record either late on Saturday night when I get home. That'll be probably around midnight. Um, or early Sunday morning. So either way, we'll have something for you on Saturday night or Sunday morning. And as always, we will have a ton of coverage on duckswire.usatoday.com. Following the game uh, leading up to the game. um, Good stuff all week and after the game. So you can always check out um, all of our content there. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys this weekend. Until then, take it easy.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early,